Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. From the blackest corners of your mind, they call, pulling you deep into shadow, twisting your senses, keeping you from sleep. It's time to face your darkest fears. This is Tales to Terrify. Good evening, children of the night, and welcome. As I mentioned last week, our current submissions period is in full swing, and we've been off to one hell of a start. Dark and horrific stories have been flowing in like a deadly mist descending on a small New England town. And there's still plenty of time if you've got some demons of your own you'd like to unleash on the world. Visit TalesToTerrify.com submissions for all the gory details. This week, we're going to take a bit of a detour. Winter has set in with a vengeance in the north. If you haven't seen some of the footage of the snowstorm, Snowmageddon as some people are calling it, in Newfoundland, in Atlantic Canada, take a look. The province was literally buried in snow. And far less dramatic, but my hometown of Saskatoon was the coldest place on the planet, again, for at least one day last week, reaching about minus 50 degrees Celsius. That's around minus 58 Fahrenheit, with the wind chill. I figured it might be nice to take a little warm vacation from the frigid temperatures and blowing snow. So this week, we're going to do a bit of island hopping. Take a little trip to the Aloha State. Pack your bags and your best flowered shirt, because we're headed to Hawaii. Think of Hawaii, and my guess is you'll picture lush, tropical islands, maybe surfers riding the huge swells of Oahu's north shore, or scuba diving among the many coral reefs. Maybe it's a luau, with the delicious smells of roasting pig and the sounds of a ukulele accompanying the hypnotic motions of a hula dancer. Or maybe you simply picture laying back seaside under a palm tree with a cold Mai Tai in your hand. While most tourists focus on the beautiful landscapes, exciting activities, and rich cultural heritage of the islands, there's something that lingers beneath the carefree exterior. In fact, the Hawaiian people have plenty of darkness lurking in the histories and legends of the islands. But none can quite hold a candle or a torch, to the Huaka'i Po, the Night Marchers. According to Hawaiian legend, there are certain nights of the year you're better to avoid being out after sunset. Dark nights, where there's no moon to peek through the clouds. On those moonless nights, or any nights designated to honor the Hawaiian gods, the Night Marchers rise from their graves, 
and from beneath the ocean waves to wander the ancient battlefields and sacred places of the islands to honor the king or chief that leads the march. Each march belongs to a different leader, and each march is entirely unique. But there are a few commonalities that, if you pay attention, may just save your life. It starts out faintly in the distance, begins as a slow, rhythmic rumble that becomes more distinct the closer it grows. The deep, percussive punch of war drums, split by the occasional throaty howl of a conch being blown. Next, the smell hits you, foul and musty, a damp odor, earth and rot and decay the smell of the grave, thick and pungent. If you can see the amber glow of torches moving through the tall grass, you'd better hurry. You're running out of time. Quickly, get inside. Strip naked and lie flat on your stomach. Focus on the floor. Don't move. And whatever you do, don't raise your eyes. It's hard not to be tempted, but even a glance at the figures passing by in the night will end in your violent death. And if you're not afraid, you should be. The night marchers can sense your attitude, your intentions, and they won't settle for anything less than fear and absolute respect. Let me save your curiosity from getting you killed and describe what you'd see if you could. Marching in traditional battle gear, Feathered capes and headdresses, with spears, clubs, and torches in hand. Line after line of Hawaiian warriors. Ancient, dead Hawaiian warriors. They float inches above the ground, leaving no trace of their passing. And aside from the steady rhythm of the drums and low drone of the conch, they're eerily silent. Now, if you did happen to look up and see one of them, Maybe careless bravado convinced you to steal a glance. You won't have much time to reconsider your actions. And don't expect the night marchers to bargain with you, barter, or even threaten. The punishment is instant death. Death from murderous bolts of flaming, intense light that pierce from the warrior's eyes. Your body is incinerated, and the few embers that remain evaporate into the night air. Oh, and your soul doesn't get off free either. It's dragged along for their nightly journey, until finally, as the sun rises, they pull you down along with them into the afterlife. Other than lying naked on your stomach and trying not to move, what's the best way to survive without being vaporized by ghostly eye lasers? Well, to be a native Hawaiian. Because if you're a native Hawaiian, there's a good chance you could have a descendant who's a member of the Night March. If so, your ancient relative will call out, Na'u, mine, and the marchers will ignore you, leave you behind unscathed and unscorched. But even then, that seems like a risky card to play, unless you're absolutely certain and you absolutely need to. There's not much that can protect you if you happen to live near or find yourself in the path of the night marchers. Earthly barricades and barriers don't even slow them. But one thing you could consider is planting a hedge of tea plants around your home. That's T-I, by the way, not T-E-A, also called cordyline. Tea bushes are a relatively multifunctional plant, too. They're said to protect from pretty much all types of evil spirits. Handy to have in any garden, I'd say. They not only form a barrier against intrusion, but actively drive off entities like the night marchers. So, while a stroll along the moonlit Hawaiian beach might sound romantic, be careful to keep your eyes and ears open, because crossing paths with the night march sounds like a pretty crummy way to end a vacation. On to our stories. Our first story for the evening comes from Sidney Page Guerrero. Sidney Page Guerrero graduated magna cum laude from the University of the Philippines Diliman 
in 2019 with a degree in creative writing. Her fiction and nonfiction have won two Nick Joaquin Literary Awards and two Amelia La Pena Bonifacio Literary Awards, respectively. And her work has been featured in Daily Science Fiction, Former Cactus Magazine, and The Philippines Graphic. Her latest short story is forthcoming in Philippine Speculative Fiction 12. Currently, she works as an instructor at the Department of English and Comparative Literature, College of Arts and Letters at the University of the Philippines, Diliman. Find out more about her at sydneypageguerrero.wordpress.com. Children of the Night, join me for Sydney Page Guerrero's Monstrous, first published in Daily Science Fiction, September 2019. Anya wasn't afraid of monsters. The one who lurked under her bed was harmless, small like her, and easily frightened. Nothing more than a trembling ball of fur and fangs and eyes. Anya saw it only in snatches. It skirted the shadows beneath her bed, weaved its way in between toys and books, once misplaced and eventually forgotten. Her murmurs to the cold, tiled floor went unanswered, gestures of comfort eluded by a being who knew only the language of fear. Nothing could coax it into the light, but Anya didn't mind the dark. She would crawl under her bed, ignoring the dust and the webs and the vibrations of the floor against her palms as the shouts of her mother's boyfriend reverberated throughout the house. She would wrap her arms around the monster, feel its heartbeat against hers, and together they would hide. Most nights, not even her mother's screams could penetrate the darkness. Anya wasn't afraid of monsters, but she would learn. The monster, still small but growing in fury, would sometimes poke its claws out from under her bed. Her pleas to the cold, tiled floor went unanswered, efforts to keep it contained gradually eluded by a being who knew its place and would not be forgotten. It scratched deep grooves into the floor, cut her palms when she tried to keep it hidden, and Anya was afraid of the things it wanted. Her mother still screamed, but most nights the monster screamed louder screamed and screamed until the very walls of her room seemed to tremble. Anya would wrap her arms around herself, but there was no comfort in her own heartbeat. Then she heard the reverberation of footsteps on the stairs, strong and slow and steady. Her mother's boyfriend approached her door. Anya turned off the light, murmured a silent prayer, and tried to disappear with the monster in the dark. The darkness was less impenetrable, more consuming, but still the only place she knew she could hide. Anya wasn't afraid of monsters, but she would learn that not all monsters lurked under beds. Monsters existed in the daylight. Monsters could be belts and fists, broken bottles and a man. Her own monster grew until it could barely be contained, no longer content in the shadows underneath her bed. It was the only thing that remained amongst a childhood misplaced and eventually forgotten. Always furious, always frightened, and most nights, Anya was afraid to want what it wanted. Her murmured prayers went unanswered, and the slam of her bedroom door against the wall reverberated throughout her room. Anya trembled. The behemoth of fur and fangs and eyes hissed. Her mother's boyfriend walked in, a thin trail of light illuminating his path. When he raised his hand to strike, 
Anya finally understood the language of fear. Her monster stepped into the light, vast and venomous and vicious. It scratched and cut and clawed, and Anya forgot why she ever tried to keep it hidden. Her mother's boyfriend screamed, but the darkness was impenetrable, consuming. Anya didn't mind the dark. There was comfort in the silence of a heartbeat. That was Sidney Page Guerrero's Monstrous, as read by Meredith McNeil. Meredith McNeil is an actor and comedian living in Los Angeles. You can find her performing improv or walking seemingly forever with her dog, Presley. Thank you, Meredith. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Want to get a chiseled look in the jawline? Sculpt and shape your jawline with added volume from Juvederm Volux XC. Juvederm Volux XC is an injectable gel specifically designed to be robust enough to improve moderate to severe loss of jawline definition. And it is the first and only hyaluronic acid filler approved for the jawline. Add volume to your jawline for a chiseled look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M dot com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Our second story comes from Alex Robert Franco. Alex Robert Franco is a writer and educator from Atlanta, Georgia. He studied literature at Bard College and the Sorbonne, and now teaches English abroad. He is most certainly not an extraterrestrial. Why would you even think that? Listen with me, children of the night, to Alex Robert Franco's Star-Crossed Lovers, a Tales to Terrify original. I woke in darkness, save for the knife slice of yellow spilling from the bathroom. Inside, I could hear the faucet running. Rolling over, I saw the time. 2.43 a.m. He was doing it again. I sat up, rubbing sleep from my eyes. When my feet hit the floor, I shivered. Autumn was coming, feline night stretching longer and longer. I plodded to the bathroom, nudged open the door, and leaned on the frame. That's wasteful, you know. Cap looked at me. I shuddered and tried to blame it on the cold. His eyes still bothered me, the way he stared like he was seeing right through me. 
not in that glass-like, you-never-listen-when-I-talk sort of way, but inside me, picking me apart. He didn't blink enough. I'm sorry. Cap twisted the faucet off. I wanted to see how long it would take to run out. Longer than I could afford. I took his hand. Come on, back to bed. Under the comforter, I molded my body to his. I dragged his arm across my chest, slotting my thigh between his. He was pliant, but stiff, like old Play-Doh. His nose nuzzled the back of my neck in imitation. He held me while I fell asleep. All night, Cap never moved. My boss calls me into his office, tells me to start pulling my weight or start looking for a new job. I want to be pissed, but he's right. I've barely slept. I hardly eat unless I'm stoned. I still can't bring myself to delete Dave's pictures off my phone. Cap watched me make breakfast. I held up the different ingredients, quizzing him. Egg. Good. I cracked two in the pan. And this? Bed. Bread, I corrected. I popped a couple slices into the toaster. Bed is what we sleep on. I pointed towards the bedroom. Remember? Yes. Cap's eyes drifted to a blank spot on the wall. Sorry. He sat, back perfectly straight, staring off into space while I cooked. He was too hard on himself sometimes. I told him everyone forgets things. It's human. The toast popped up, and Cap jumped. I hushed him back into his seat. It's just letting us know it's done, that's all. I grabbed a couple plates, buttered the pieces, and set them down on the table. I slid one towards Cap. What do we say? Thank you, he said to the toaster. Cap did the dishes while I showered. He forgot about the hot water again, and the spray ran cold. I hurried out and reminded myself that cold water was good for the skin. He sat on the edge of the bed and watched me get dressed. Pants. Yes. Despite myself, I smiled. Good. He grabbed my hips and slid my jeans down my thighs. I wasn't guessing. That's what I loved about Cap. He looked at me like he'd never seen someone like me before. Each kiss was made in awe. Most nights I'm too tired to cook, so I order in. Chang's over on Union takes about 45 minutes. I zap through Netflix, everything on but nothing good. I pack a bowl for later and sift through Grinder while I wait for the food. I send a couple of dick pics, get a couple back. There's lazy flirting. I have no intention of putting on pants. And my apartment's too messy for strangers to see. Everyone tells me I should start dating again. I can't. I can't make them understand why not. Staring at the headless torsos, though, I allow myself to imagine. Janine was waiting at my desk with coffee. She put cream in mine. Again. So I felt justified in not telling her about the lipstick on her tooth. Somebody had a busy weekend, she said and wiggled her eyebrows. I pulled out my chair. She loomed over me. I could feel her eyes boring into the top of my head. You didn't respond to any of my texts. That new man of yours must keep you on a... She paused and pursed her lips. Tight schedule? Gross. I sipped my coffee for show while I stared up at my computer. What are you, twelve? Want to know if I let Jimmy get to third base at Susie's pool party? She sneered good-heartedly. Come on, dish! You've been shacked up with this guy for weeks now, and I barely know his name. What was it again? Cass? Carl? Cap. I opened the browser and pulled out a stack of half-finished articles from my bag. Right. Cap. Janine pressed a manicured nail against her bottom lip. That's a new one. It's short for Capulet, I said, and blushed at the relief in my own unexpected truth. Janine laughed like I'd made a joke she didn't quite get. Then to cover, she asked, Where'd you say you met him? My skin started to itch. I eyed the coffee, precariously perched on the desk's edge. 
All it'd take was a swivel, a sudden jerk, to send it cascading over her Ellie Woods. Tinder. I busied myself with my email. Look, I've got that meeting with Futterman in an hour. Fine. She pushed off the desk with a sigh and smoothed down the front of her skirt. But I want details. You, me, mimosas, this weekend. She jabbed a finger in my face. And bring Cap. Since the breakup, I drink more, too. I stay up late writing him emails, watching them bounce back. At lunch, I called Cap. He picked up on the first ring, like he was waiting by the phone, like he knew it would ring a second before it did. Hey, I said, and waited, not wanting to prompt him. We'd rehearsed it a thousand times. I knew he could do it. I listened, checking my watch. After a minute ticked by, I said, Now you say hello. Hello. In the space between his words, I could hear the TV. How is work? Work's good. What have you been up to? There was a sudden clatter of metal on metal, like a handful of spoons dropped into the sink. Reading. No surprise. Cap worked his way through my meager bookcase our first week together. When he said the Shakespeare collection was his favorite, I tried to show him some film adaptations. But while he appreciated TV in the background, he couldn't stand to watch it. He said it made his brain itch. What are you reading? The instruction manual for the vacuum. Sounds riveting, I laughed. Last week it was the dishwasher. Don't spoil the ending for me, I haven't finished it yet. The other end of the line was quiet. I thought maybe the call had been dropped. Cap? Never, he whispered. I promise. When I finally donate his clothes, it feels like a victory. My sister even throws me a party to celebrate. Everyone is so happy, congratulating and buying me drinks, that I can't bring myself to tell them I kept one of his sweaters. His favorite, which still smells like him. On hard days, I press it to my face and inhale. Someone had thrown themselves on the tracks near Union Square, so it took me over an hour to get home. I tried calling, but Cap didn't pick up. I wondered if he'd worry, or worse, go out by himself to look for me. I didn't want to, but I ended up running the last four blocks. Sweat dripped off my chin as I panted up the stoop, hand shaking as I fit the key into the lock. Welcome home. Cap stood in the middle of the living room, face tilted up. He smiled at the ceiling. I missed you. My bag slipped off my shoulder and I went to him, wrapping him in my arms. His hands hung limply by his sides, but his chin rested on my shoulder. I'm sorry I'm late, I said. I leaned back but kept a hold on him, afraid to let go. Did you... were you bored? Cap tilted his head, and his eyebrows scrunched together. Bored? What did you do? I asked, changing tactics. While you waited. Not much. He took my hand and led me to the couch. He pointed at the ceiling. I listened to the neighbors. He grinned. They're going to have a baby. Good. I smiled with him, happy to see him happy. That's good. My hand rubbed his knee. How? Cap looked at me finally. My hand stilled. How what? How are they going to have a baby? His eyes drifted once more to the ceiling. How will they do it? He tugged my hand towards him. Show me again. I stood and worked my clothes off while he watched. When I leaned down to kiss him, it only took a second for him to kiss me back. His fingers pressed into the back of my head. Forgetting, I cupped his crotch and kneaded against nothing. One day in May, it's bad. Really bad. I'm drunker than I've been since college, and I call his voicemail. I don't remember what I say, but I know it can't be good. So the next day I block his number... 
After, we stretched out, tacky and flushed. Cap lolled his forehead against my stomach, his breath tickling the hairs around my navel. My fingers skittered along his scalp. He muttered something, lips moving against my hip. I cupped his cheek and lifted his face. What was that? I asked if we could go for a walk in the park. I tried to keep the worry off my face, to stamp it down. My fingers continued to card through his hair, but they lost their natural grace, the gesture now forced and mechanical. Maybe this weekend, if the weather's nice. No, Cap set up. I want to go now. We got up and got dressed. There was no point arguing. He'd go with me now, or without me tomorrow while I was at work. And at least this way I could keep an eye on him. I tugged on my sneakers and tossed Cap a jacket. It was almost dinner time, so most people were at home. I breathed easy as the streets. The worst of the heat had broken. A breeze rustled the trees. Cap threaded his hand through mine, like we'd practiced. He smiled at me, that big, self-satisfied grin when he knew he was doing well, and I couldn't help but share his joy. There were mainly joggers. A couple's couple of dogs. I checked and, thank God, saw no kids. Cap wasn't great around kids. We lapped the lake in slow loops, stopping to let Cap stare at a duck. We sat on a bench and watched the cotton candy clouds color pink and red. I huddled close to him, draping his arm around me, guiding his head to my shoulder. It didn't occur to Cap to offer me his jacket. It wasn't cold to him. The wind carried over the smell of mustard and warm buns. A man pushing a hot dog cart barked, and my stomach rumbled. I'm going to go grab a bite, okay? I made sure Cap looked at me. I'll be back in two minutes. The man in front of me took forever. I foot-tapped through ordering a foot long, dumping my money in the man's hand. I stuffed napkins in my pockets and told him to keep the change. Something to drink? He began to ask before a mad flutter of wings cut him off. Someone screamed. I dropped the dog. And we both turned to see everyone running. Everyone except Cap. There was blood all over his hands. More splattered on his chest and cheek. The duck's body lay in a ruddy puddle at his stained feet. In his hand, he held the head. Cap, what the fuck did you do? He looked at it with a disinterested haze in his eyes. His thumb nudged at its beak. I just wanted to see how it worked. He dropped the head. It rolled twice and stopped. I'm sorry. In the taxi, Cap stared glass-eyed as the world whirred past. His blood-caked hands lay cradled in his lap. I did my best to clean them with napkins and a water bottle. The driver eyed us in the rear view. I paid him double and hurried Cap inside. I undressed him, pliant as a sleep-heavy child, and led him to the bath. The water turned pink as I rinsed his arms, lifting up his palms to clean under each fingernail. Cap studied the grout between the tiles as I maneuvered him up and out of the tub. I toweled him off and sent him to bed. Alone in the bathroom, I avoided my reflection, avoided thinking about what had happened. I bundled up Cap's clothes, my clothes given to Cap, and threw them in the trash. I scrubbed the tub till I was sick with the smell of bleach. They always have questions. How'd you meet him? What's up with that name? Don't you think he looks like Dave? That's why I don't bring him up. I stopped introducing him to my friends. They wouldn't believe the truth if I told them. Cap liked to collect the mail. Sometimes, if I came home for lunch, I'd find him waiting by the mailbox. It made the day Christmas, Cap aglow with excitement. He liked to talk to the mailman. He told me his name was Robert and that he was very nice. His wife is very sick, Cap said, watching me eat my salad. He sat close to me and stared at my mouth. She has cancer. She will probably die. He said this the same way I told him it was raining. 
he spread the letters out on the coffee table. He opened each one, even the junk mail, but he didn't read a word. He slit them open with tender care. If I said it was okay, he'd keep the envelope. He collected them, had a stack tucked away in a kitchen drawer, but couldn't care less about the letters. He saved the bright blue envelope for last, turning it over and over in his hands. He marveled at the curling loops of my address, the gold trim, tracing the cartoon stork sticker stuck on the back. What is this? An invitation, I said, taking the card from him. The Goldmans had had their baby, a boy, and they'd invited us to the bris. Cap went to the kitchen to admire his collection. I flipped through the bills, filed what I needed, and threw away the rest. I tacked the invitation to the fridge with a magnet. I made us dinner, Cap at the kitchen table asking me whether clouds were happy or sad. We watched a cartoon movie where it rained food while I ate. Cap rested his head in my lap, only half watching the screen. I felt his eyes on me all night. As I brushed my teeth, Cap surprised me, appearing suddenly in the mirror's reflection. I swore and spun, saw the blue paper crushed against his chest. Can we go? he asked. I spat and watched the white foam disappear down the drain, knowing there was no way out. The night I meet Cap, it sounds so much like an explosion, I'm sure it's a terrorist attack. We went to Toys R Us to buy a present. I wasn't sure a bris was something you brought a present to, and Google was no help, but I figured it was better to be safe than sorry. Plus, Cap had never been to a toy store. On the ride over, Cap asked why we were buying a gift for someone we'd never met. I told him it's just something you do, good manners, like handshakes and eye contact. As if I'd reminded him, when I told the driver thank you, Cap said, you're welcome. I couldn't help but smile at the way Cap's face lit up when he stepped inside. The anxiety that had plagued me since we'd left the apartment, though not entirely put to rest, snoozed peacefully in the back of my mind pacified by Cap's childlike glee. It's what I loved most about him, how joyful he was, how full of wonder. Everything as magical as the first time. His fingers trailed over the packages, squeaking against the clear plastic covers, as I led him down the aisle. He stopped and asked what things were, what they were called, staring at every little plastic face. He picked up Barbie boxes, turning them this way and that, his eyes pressed up close. I told him he could wait here if he promised to stay put. In the newborn section, mountains of plush blocks teetered next to rows of pacifiers. The magnitude of the choices baffled me. At random, I grabbed a stuffed duck. I blanched, put it back, grabbed what looked like a smiling tree. I decided good enough was good enough and went to collect cap. When I didn't see him, terror seized my heart. Blood rushed from my face and my pulse quickened. I thought I'd be sick. The world threatened to spin out. But then I found him. One aisle over, looking at baby dolls. He saw me and smiled. Look. He held up a doll, its bottom pulled down. Just like me. That's very nice, I said, pulling up the doll's pants. When I went to put it back, Cap caught my wrist. Can I take it home? The woman who checked us out said, Y'all make such a cute couple, when she handed me the bag. Cap reached in and took out the doll. The whole way home, he never took his eyes off it. The sound of it wakes me up. I'd passed out on the couch, Dave's old sweater clutched in my hand. It feels like the whole building shakes. Out the window, I can see light coming from the roof. Ellen called Cap charming. I could just eat him up, she said. Her son, Michael, suckled at her breast. How'd you say you met again? Mutual friend. I made a point of looking her in the eye. I touched a glance over my shoulder, saw Cap talking to a man I didn't know. Will you excuse me? Wait! Ellen grabbed my elbow. Did I tell you what happened at the co-op last week? 
I nodded, not listening, my eyes following Cap around the room. He wandered over to the snack table and sank a finger into a deviled egg. Michael started crying, and I used the opportunity to slip away. Hey. I touched Cap's shoulder, smiling from relief. I took his hand and wiped it clean. Are you having fun? Cap's face glowed. He looked, not at me, but at Ellen, sitting on the couch, Michael cradled in her lap. He slipped his fingers through mine and squeezed. He's perfect. I climb, phone in hand, fire escape groaning beneath my weight. The rungs cool to the touch. I sway a little, still drunk. By the time I reach the roof, I feel close to vomiting. And then I see it. I drank too much at the party. Every time I finished my glass, Cap brought me another. I laughed a little too loudly at Ellen's husband's jokes. I could feel my face flushing. Cap stuck by my side, his arm looped through mine, and I couldn't remember why I ever worried about taking him out in public. Everyone loved him. I loved him. The rabbi came, and we shuffled to the back of the crowd. Cap stood on his tiptoes to watch. He asked me what he was going to do with a sample he took, if maybe he could take one too. I decided it was time to go home, mumbled some goodbyes, and ushered Cap out the door. I stumbled downstairs, leaning heavy on Cap. It took me three tries to fit the key into the lock, and then we were tumbling inside, the carpet soft under my back. Cap moved atop me, acted out the rehearsed overtures of desire, but I gently pushed him off. Can you get me a glass of water? I asked, shutting my eyes in the vain hope the room would stop spinning. Cap went to the kitchen. I heard the faucet turn on and off, and then nothing. I rolled over and dragged myself to my feet. Cap was bent over, the side of his face pressed to the microwave. What are you doing? Listening. Weirdo. I grabbed the glass off the counter and took Cap's hand. Come on, I said and led us to the bedroom. That night, he was almost tender. He stroked the side of my face as we laid there, something I'd never taught him to do. His fingers ghosted through my hair, his foot moved against my calf. I fell asleep in his arms. Ellen's screaming woke me. It was a dark and indeterminate hour. My mouth felt fur-lined, my head pounded and six inches thick. I reached for Cap, but he wasn't there. I staggered out of bed, scrambling for the light. A chill blew through the living room from the open window. I poked my head outside. In the upper shadows of the fire escape, something moved. Cap? I moved onto the landing. Cap? I started to climb, tripping over my own feet. It was cold, I was barefoot and underdressed. A shiver shook the ladder. One floor up, I stepped on something rubbery. The pacifier half-smushed underfoot. I clawed up the fire escape. I shouted, but there was a piercing whine. A hiss of compressed air suddenly freed. Light poured down from above. Blinded, I slipped and smashed my knee into the railing. Each upward lunge sent pain throbbing up into my hip, but I didn't stop, not till, breathless, I pulled myself onto the roof. And then I saw him. It hurts to look at. Biblical is how I think of it in the moment. Moses' burning bush, the light so bright it's a wonder the whole city hasn't woken up. Vapor billows forth, clinging low to the roof, a noxious green that faintly glows. The air crackles, heavy, like before a thunderstorm. Within the light, something moves. It is formless, or rather, it is every form, shifting and changing as I watch rooted in terror. From out of it comes a sound like thunder, a splitting of air that leaves my hairs on end. And then it speaks. 
Take me to your breeder. He was standing like he was the first time I saw him, stunned, agape at the sight of the city. Only now he wasn't looking at the city. Cap, please, give me the baby. Though I spoke to Cap, my eyes never left Michael's face. Cap! He looked up, as if just now aware of me. He smiled like when I'd shown him how music worked. Thank you, he said. He might not be yours. Here, a flash of something almost like regret. Then his eyes slid to Michael's face and a smile I'd never seen before crept across Cap's mouth. But he'll do just fine. Please, I begged. Cap, you have to give him back. Cap stopped smiling. Why? Oh, God, Cap, because he's someone's son. You, you can't... You can't just take someone's kid. I shivered. From rage or fear or the bitter wind that blew across the rooftops, I wasn't sure. Cap stood perfectly still, his head cocked as if listening for something. I wondered why the air had started to hum. We had a deal. I stared open-mouthed, tongue-tied by the truth of it. It had all seemed so surreal. His wide-eyed appreciation of everything, the wonder of it all. It had been a game at first, then a mission of vital importance. After all, I had made first contact, though I never thought of him as an alien. To me, he was an angel, an answered prayer made perfect flesh. And when he'd kissed me, copying what he'd seen in all the late-night movies, I would have given him the world. So, of course, I said, yes, a child, a family, anything you want. Didn't I deserve a storybook life? Michael wiggled, and Cap held a finger to unpursed lips. He turned his head, scanning the sky. He broke into a smile and turned from me. Cap! I cried again. He threw a look over his shoulder that stopped me dead. I scrambled for a lifeline, for anything to keep him here. Take me! You? Cap turned and seemed to consider this with sad resignation. The others would be unhappy if I returned with a mature specimen. A never-before-considered realization rips through my head like a bullet. My knees went to jelly. Others? Cap didn't hear me. He was tracking darkness across the sky. The imagined hum became louder. I sunk beneath the presence now hovering overhead. Goodbye, Romeo, Cap said. Then he burst into light. The Goldmans call the police. I hear them make the phone call, listening at the vent. Ellen's wailing wakes the whole building. I wander into the hall with everyone else join the mumbling circles of concern and worry. Word grapevines through the neighbors. Snatched! Right out of the cradle! Police say no fingerprints! To my omniscient ear. I encourage rumors. You know, I did see someone lurking on the curb the other day. And spread falsehood. You haven't heard? Mort Goldman owes a ton of money. To disperse the truth. When it becomes clear no more news will be forthcoming, neighbors begin to trickle inside. I linger, wanting to seem curious, till most everyone has gone back to bed. Only as I open my own door does Mrs. Hopple think to ask, Say, didn't all that hollering wake your cousin? She means Cap, our relationship having never been clear to her. Or to me. I realize, when I tell her truthfully. He's not staying with me anymore. He's gone home.
That was Alex Robert Franco's Star-Crossed Lovers, as read by Anthony Babington. Anthony Babington is an aspiring voice actor who looks just slightly off from how he sounds. From his secret volcano lair in Minnesota, he narrates podcasts and leases his soul to corporate America. He has previously recorded for Far-Fetched Fables, Starship Sofa, and The Cursed Inn podcast. He can be found on Twitter as at Aleph Baker. Thank you, Anthony. Well, children of the night, the hour is late and we've run out of tales to tell. For now. Support us on Patreon for access to ad-free episodes and bonus content. Visit patreon.com slash tales to terrify to sign up. Or if PayPal's more your style, you can support us via the link near the bottom of our homepage at talestoterrify.com. And if you've got a minute to spare, we'd love it if you'd pop over to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts and leave us a rating or a review. Reviews are huge to a volunteer-run podcast like ours. It helps us expose more victims, I mean listeners, to our dark influence. Tales to Terrify is produced by Seth Williams, Pete Morsellino, Meredith Morgenstern, Julia Zellman, and myself, Drew Sebastini, with original theme by Nebulous Entertainment. Tales to Terrify is distributed under a Creative Commons attribution non-commercial, no-derivatives license. Join us again next week as we dive deep into darkness with more Tales to Terrify. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.